0: Good morning, afternoon, or evening, listenership. This is the Unsung Podcast. This is the cash call that precedes the Unsung Podcast, I suppose, if I'm being very technical about it. Uh, We are approaching Christmas. That means two things. The first thing, Mm -hmm. as we all know, is that money becomes an issue, and that is not just for uh, parents. That's for podcasters. (laughs) we're broke guys we're broke (laughs) because yeah because we're slightly broke thing number two is that every Christmas we do a special by every I mean we've done that once before and we're going to do it And a second time Mm -hmm. And for the special We invite you to submit Special questions Like Kind of like along the line Of the split 7 inch Um, But we'll kind of Go into it in more depth And like last year We did two episodes We did four per episode And kind of went into them Uh, And it was good fun Plus we got drunk While we did it Um, Yay So uh, it makes for Interesting listening And even more interesting editing But we are going to do that again So to combine those two factors If you sign up For even the Most basic Subscription fee, which I think is two dollars a month. Yeah, via
1: Patreon. Patreon. dot com slash unsung pod.
0: Yeah, via that. Please also take an op- uh, a moment to send in an idea for any stupid ass question relating to stuff we've done, relating to something you want us to do, relating to. Uh, it doesn't really matter how stupid it is We will will vet them um, That we can include uh, in the Christmas special And or uh, a split 7 inch in, along the way Because yeah. split 7 inches go out to subscribers So you'll get access to all of those as well We've already had one good suggestion mm-hmm. From, from a, a funder Which was that we ourselves Have to next eye ourselves To three significant figures <laughs> From the unsung universe Yeah um, so. Wow Yep That's going to be one Patreon. I can get to Dave Grohl Very quickly You don't have
2: Dave Grohl You don't have Dave, Dave Grohl You've got Weird Jankovic oh, Has it been done? It's been oh, done He's shit. chosen He, he decided yeah. who was getting what Alright
0: yep. oh, okay So oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Go on Patreon now This is a great time to do it Please As it helps us get set up For the holidays We're doing a live event It will help us pay for all that And When you Sign up please send us an idea or a question or a request or a challenge for the Christmas specials and if you're already a funder and you haven't done that please take a moment to do that as well
2: yeah and if you're listening to this and you are a funder we sent you all a message please send us um, your three favourite albums so we can choose an
0: anthem for you yeah
2: so we know what we're That's talking right. about when we choose we need something to go songs. on Yeah.
0: so if you're a funder of the podcast send us your three favourite albums and we'll try and pick you a personal anthem that we'll play any time you get a mention maybe Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That I remember editing. Like the Prince alarm. Yeah. We can all have our own (laughs) (laughs) alarm. Yeah. So, end of long cash call. But yeah, we need your ideas. Thanks. Thanks. Bye.
2: Welcome to the Unsung Podcast. Chris has a glass of wine.
1: Chris has a glass of wine. Sacking a night, guys. His feet are up on the couch and he's got a Pentecostal uh, good news church television on in the background with the sound off. Yeah. So so really, welcome
0: to the the (laughs) boudoir. I've spent a fair number of nights since I last saw you watching... Well, skipping between the various God channels and Saturday. I just have a wank instead. <laughs> well, he said there wasn't. too have been skipping Ooh, that between dark like that. <laughs> Skipping between the various God channels and just um, marveling at the mania.
2: Pretty, pretty manic, eh?
0: yeah. So I mean, I mean, turn it off by all means, but it is kind of fun that when I look across at you, Mark, you've got people getting all like. Uh, Flustered which, No there's a word uh, where they there's a word for it when they they're, they're, they're in uh, they get the ra- not the rapture what's it called Like what? speaking in tongues that, yeah. yeah there's a phrase for that there's a specific phrase what I can't
2: remember what it is. I'll
0: do a really clumsy overdub later on of that yeah. word <laughs> uh, Anyway yeah so uh, that's been the fuel for my week uh, musing on the absurdity of human nature Oh. Yeah, that, hey, hey. that. No different from any other week. Sharon Van Etten's album, Remind Me Tomorrow.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh-huh. Mark, what have you been up to? Nothing,
2: much, really uh, I went to see Thrice and Refused on Monday on Sunday night Tell us a bit about the merch yeah, how that? Uh, So it was really good, there was some really nice merch on sale. Um, 50 quid for a hoodie, guys Which, you know, if you want to pay that, you can pay that it's Thrice I'd have a pair of socks for 15 quid And the best thing about them was it said On the soul, play Deadbolt Which is like a really old song they never play anymore mm-hmm. I thought it was quite funny <laughs> uh, And then there was a really interesting part of the show Where, don't get me wrong Refused are fucking amazing live and Dennis is like the he's so like the sport man, yeah, they're incredible. And the bar is always sounds great, yeah. Um, and Dennis is in his you know his tight jeans and his his, his 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 suit jacket and dancing around like a mad cunt after they play like six songs or something. They're playing for an hour, so it's a Joe it headline show. He gives it the whole you know anti capitalist spiel, like, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And um, I think one of the things he said was where I came from, all the bands that I listened to were political, bands that were not political were seen as being sellouts. And, this is why we talk about politics all the time and just pretty he to say that capitalism was really, really bad, which was great. Um And I couldn't really agree more with that. But if you're going to be selling 75 quid skate decks exit say the sheep pump come on them, then maybe maybe you can't really talk about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, and 50 pound hoodies.
2: Yeah, that's really weird, man. Like, 25 quid for a t-shirt, which is, is also a bit much.
0: It's to- more than a bit much. It's a total rip. Um, <laughs> I mean, did they give you any sort of non-sweatshop assurance in the... Not oh, absolutely not I'd yeah. imagine not, yeah I was at Charlie XCX on Sunday
1: yeah. night And the t-shirts were only 20 quid So yeah. Wow There you go To be fair though The two
0: of you are both absolutely fucked hey, when, when, when we spoke about this Via the group chat uh-huh. uh, I did make the point that that is the End of times patter In what way? Where you're away seeing a pop star who A pop star who chooses
1: not to play in large venues And uh <sighs> Chooses. showcases a lot of a pop uh, star
0: who sings songs that were written by other people and seems to spend a lot of time without her clothes on because she's incredibly attractive and a punk band that claims to be communist or at the very very worst anti-capitalist but sells £50 hooded sweatshirts and tours at the behest of one of the biggest booking organisations in the world
2: it's, it was deeply it was unsettling uh,
1: but
0: you know
2: I expected it
1: <laughs>
0: like yeah, and, the, and do you know what? Charlie XX
1: else? was really like, fun And it was one of the most um, It seemed like the, one of the most Accepting gigs I've ever been to It seemed what like there were me? a lot of Just a lot of young people were there Maybe it was like their first time going out Dressed up weird or Going out as a non-binary person Or a non-straight person And like they knew that that was a very
0: safe place That's a very, very uh, Generous spin, you're putting on An artist that has been marketed At a specific audience
1: I, well, who cares? It was really fun. It was very, you know, mainstream pop, but done in a interesting way. I enjoyed it. I
2: right, whereas I I went to this gig. I didn't. I wasn't going to see Refused I was going to see Thrice. Um, I didn't actually know Refused had a new album out until two days before the show, um, and it, it was certified. I quit for a ticket, which is a total fucking bummer. Anyway, um, but I like Thrice a lot, and they hadn't played in Glasgow in like ten years, so I was definitely going to go see them.
0: Everything about that is fucking stinking
2: Yeah it's horrible, it's bad part, bad But I, I fucking love Thrice Man the, so I couldn't the, say no to it
0: the, Literally the only even Vaguely possible excuse Would be that Refused are like Oh we're Swedish, these prices are normal in Sweden Because <laughs> <laughs> every single other Possible perspective is Just fucking rancid Given, yeah. given the rhetoric Also uh, uh, the,
2: the promotions agency who, who booked the show Completely fucked it because the bar was only half full Really? Yep. That's bizarre. Yeah, that's mad. That is uh, like they could have easily put it in the garage and it would have been a total sellout. Uh,
0: but I mean, there's no, there's no way in the world that Refused and Thrice should be playing at half full bars. Absolutely yeah. no. I and mean, I mean,
2: especially know? when Refused haven't played here, and uh, especially when Thrice haven't played here in like a decade. And you literally, a,
0: I, think, I think maybe a hundred people that travelled down to the Refused show in Manchester alone.
2: Mm. And the Refused, I think Refused played uh, the garage a couple of years ago when they sold it out. Um, so yeah, it was really strange to see it being literally half full. Like you could you could easily walk between people in a the crowd, It was like there was loads of space in the back.
1: I think you know, when Refused plays last time, um that was like holy shit, Refused are back and they're touring and that's exciting and I always wanted to see them when I was eighteen. Uh, whereas now Refused have been back and have released a, an album that is shit. So it's like, Oh, I probably won't go. Maybe, uh, it. maybe
0: it's just that the commies didn't they go this time because they finally got sick of it. And they mm-hmm. were all at Charlie XCX? The new album sounds yeah. a like ACDC <laughs> as well, which is not good. Yeah.
1: Oh, oh well. So uh, what are we doing this week, Christopher? We're doing, as I mentioned, uh, the album Remind Me Tomorrow by the artist Sharon Van Etten. So this record immediately takes a new record for Unsung. Yeah. For the 2019, mm-hmm. the latest release. I don't think we've time
0: since we've... Uh, we don't have a 2018 record, do we? Um... I think the closest No, I mean it Was Colella 2016, 2017?
1: Yeah, I'm not even sure what the like the least time between a release and us covering it was because, you know we've been doing this for nearly two years so mm-hmm. um, I mean, this is
0: easily, the, this this is is easily think, the I think this is actually probably the only album we've covered that has come out since the podcast started Yeah, it's yeah. a, it a bold
2: be. choice to pick one that's come out so, mm-hmm. so I sweet. was
0: it, it wasn't without due consideration though because I was going to suggest Sharon Van Etten maybe even a different record at an earlier stage but this album is interesting to me for a few reasons because it's quite a distinctly different sound from how I think a lot of people imagine Sharon Van Etten Mm -hmm. Uh, and I also think track by track I was trying to remember you know trying not to view it through the lens of being 38 years old but try to view it through the lens of being 18 years old when I used to like throw you know, compilation tapes together and really obsess about specific tracks and, you know, the likes of Nevermind, I got incredible mileage from all the different tracks in Nevermind, or all the different tracks in Vitalogy by Pearl Jam, putting them alongside tracks by other artists, you know, kind of doing the domino thing of like, yeah, okay, this is Pearl Jam, but this actually sounds more like R.E.M. or, you know, this kind of thing. And I was thinking about the tracks in this album and they're actually very, very varied. Uh, some of them go from like really classic kind of 80s power pop mainstream M.O.R. kind of Springsteen rock mm. all the way through to showing how much Sharon Van Etten's into Portis head and things like this. Yeah. And I think that kind of variety, when pulled apart, because I don't, like, right off the bat, I don't think it's a particularly solid concept of an album throughout. I think it is literally a collection of good songs. Um, but I thought that was really actually a very strong collection of good songs and a collection of good songs that if I was 18 I would probably have ripped to bits and put one in a mixtape for a girl I liked and another couple in a mixtape for a car and sent another couple to my friends when we were on the way to band practice or something like that. This this kind of thing I think it, it, it's an album that bears getting kind of pulled apart because the tracks work well. As a result I mean there's also a lot of singles on it Um, for that reason I think. Uh, it's obviously like is it a classic it's too soon to tell but i do know it's a very very strong set of songs that i also is it unsung maybe that's too
1: soon to tell as well mm, it's been fairly well received so far and we
0: haven't yet seen the end of year lists um no that's that's true but then i think what i would maybe look at is that she has had many 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 albums over the years in fact i think to be honest her last Four records have all received critical acclaim, increasingly so. Yet, if you look at festival bills and stuff, she she's never really up amongst the big hitters on festival bills, despite substantial critical acclaim mm-hmm. uh, as she went. So, I, I don't really get the feeling that Shan Vanetta is ever really going to break that. I think when you see the way that she performs, um, she she is writing these songs. There's a there's a <laughs> there's a lack of finesse, maybe, to some of her songs that I think actually sometimes makes them more endearing, but also sort of inherently limits the, the potential success of them i think that's true of some of the songs in this album that they're written by her she hasn't got multiple industry voices in her ear saying to her well you know if you tweak that and tweak that you could be looking at a top 10 single i don't think that really happens i actually think sometimes she misses a trick with a couple of her tunes but that's just how she writes and i kind of get the feeling she's never really going to get beyond that particular level um, but that's alright you know she's fucking great live Like she was on the Glastonbury BBC's Glastonbury coverage this year they covered her set and it's terrific it's really interesting to watch how she works live as well she has a band round her in a semicircle. I think it was like five musicians you know keys, drums that kind of thing and uh, she goes in the middle in the centre of the stage and she basically conducts the show from the centre with the band around her, all working off her cues. So she's, like, turning round to them and bringing them in and bringing them out, bringing them up, bringing them down. You can see she's got, like, little signals for, like, changing frequencies or lifting a filter. It's it's really fascinating to watch that in those live shows because she is the boss of that band. That is her project, and she's grown into this project over, what, it's about 16 years she's been doing it now since she, she very first started out. So, no, I, th- I think she's an interesting case study. I don't see her ever really... Bursting through some ceiling and ending up, you know, with some massive chart album. She she doesn't even market herself like that, and she's she's just yeah. I think she's found her she's found her niche. She's found her level. It's interesting. I feel like there are a lot of female
1: artists out like that right now.
0: Well, I've made a note that I actually feel like it was probably even more so the case between about two thousand and eight and two thousand and ten when she first arrived and she was doing. Very much the singer-songwriter thing, guitar mm-hmm. and voice, with the occasional bit of piano or something like that. And yeah. there was just there, there, there was a glut of those artists. There was an absolutely like, mass of them just arrived suddenly. It's such a it's such a I, certainly I, yeah. It's interesting. I wonder if that's like a um, I, I don't know
1: like an empowerment thing. And you know, uh, females have seen acts like I don't know um, Tori Amos and mm-hmm. PJ Harvey. And have gone, oh, fuck it, I can actually do this. and You know, that was maybe one wave of it.
0: And then I feel like we're definitely getting another wave right now. Um, I would agree with that. I think also though, there's an element of pragmatism to it because this is, you know, 2008, for example, it was five years after that sort of initial massive crash in the remuneration that was coming off record sales. You mm-hmm. know, they were they were right on the, the, the serious part of the downslope there and they were struggling to cope and it was becoming obvious that touring was going to be one of the main sources of revenue. Mm-hmm. And also it was becoming obvious that Sync was going to become one of the main sources of revenue. And so touring a single female soul acoustic artist or male acoustic artist, but in this case female was such a viable and financially affordable thing to do. Mm-hmm. And also this music because of its sort of indie credentials, just lends itself so easily to sync options, you know, films, TV, advertising, uh, that I think it's a genre that, it it suffered as a result of those factors, because I think there's an overabundance of really average people in this genre. Um, But I do believe that she's by far one of the best at it. Uh, And I think she probably, although she was part of that movement, such was the quality of what she was putting out, that her gravity, Affected a change on the people around her and set something of a standard. Yeah, there's certainly artists out
1: there that are contemporaries of her or have been influenced by her that are maybe playing similarly sized venues or even larger mm-hmm. now with her. I, I was just going to do a list of them because yeah, I think you've, you've got to be shit hot to stand out. And very true. Yeah. Um. So you've got Sharon Van Etten, but then you've got Angel Olsen, you've got Mitski, you've got Jessica Pratt. Mm-hmm.
3: Moving,
1: fly, Wise Blood, who played in a sold out art school last night, uh, Jenny Lewis, Phoebe Bridgers, Lucy Dacus, Aldous Harding, Cat Power. <laughs> You know, he's obviously been around for a little longer, but... Mm -hmm. uh, Julie Byrne, Julian Baker, Waxahachie, Marissa Nadler, Tiny Ruins, Angie McMahon, Japanese Breakfast, Jessica Hoop, Natalie Prass, Julia Jacklin. Like, they're all doing quite similar things. Oh, yeah, and we're, and, we're scraping the surface. Yeah, there, yeah, well. and I mean, that's yeah. that's just artists that will,
0: you know, mm-hmm. that, play in Glasgow to busy rooms. Absolutely. Uh, so it's clearly, like I think uh, you're right, there's definitely a factor in there, which is to do with the empowerment of women and women feeling more engaged and represented by the music industry. That was nice. It's a, it's a very positive thing to come mm-hmm. from it. But I do think it's a difficult genre to navigate as a result of that just... The, the sheer scale of that deluge of artists in, in, in this area. It does make me wonder sometimes given that there's it's some of the artists are so close that it, you could get a slip of paper between their sound, you know, it's very fine margins of what differentiates them. And I wonder whether when the margins are that tight, you know, how do you distinguish between a truly great artist in that field and a fairly average one in that field and Is that a moment where good marketing can have an unwieldy amount of influence over who makes it and who doesn't? So you could have artists, and I would argue there probably are artists, that have really struggled to kind of rise above the crowd, even though they probably deserve it to some extent, and it's maybe largely to do with the fact that their management, and maybe a wee bit of luck, didn't quite happen the way it did for others, who I don't think are necessarily any better, if not not as good. Um... I'll give some examples as we're going through her actual material. But um, I think by sh- through, via sheer consistency, um, as well as talent, um, Sian Van Etten managed to sort of leave a lot of them behind, a little bit of the kind of tortoise and hair thing, because some of them did get massive amounts of promo early on and mm-hmm. weren't able to sustain it. But she had good album, good album, good album, good album. These are albums I didn't initially warm to, I'll be honest. I wasn't really a huge fan of Sharon Van Etten for a long time. One of my ex-girlfriends was and exposed me to it. And there were definitely parts of it that was like, this is a lot better than most of what else I'm hearing. But I'm still not feeling drawn in. It wasn't until recently that she started making music that I actually felt like I connected with. Music that when it was on, I was... Stopping what I was doing and paying attention, going up to bars, going up to cafes and asking, w- what is this you plan?" playing? And started to notice more and more that the name that was coming back was the same one. I was like, oh, I've heard her before, but this seems more dynamic. This seems a bit more lusty and energetic than the kind of previous stuff. So I think she's just by virtue of just consistency as well as, as I say, like a, a good base level of voice and songwriting uh, has managed to just push beyond that pack as they've slowly fallen away. And so, yeah, maybe now is a good time to address that genre because, or at least that wave of that genre, because much of the average stuff has kind of drifted back. And albeit this is a recent record by this artist, she's an artist with a lot of pedigree and uh, who you know, paid her dues and who has modernised her sound as she's gone till now. I think she's at something quite dynamic. I mean, to that end, I've got quite a lot to say about songs in the album, um, but I'll I'll, I'll do a very quick skim of her her career. Uh, She was born in 1981 in New Jersey uh, and after a number of moves around the States, more or less ended up living in New York City from about 2005. I think that's relevant uh, because this, and not just this artist, but many of these artists sound so new york city Mm. you know they just and more so than that they sound very brooklyn they sound like so many people's ideas of an indie film you know they sound like
1: i mean there's a definite musical callbacks to three episodes ago in interpol you know they're not the same in any way but you definitely get little hints from each other that you know they have foundations in the same place
0: i think there's a there's just a lot of like really kind of quite pleasant but sort of mildly amusing cliches that do come to mind with a lot of these records and a lot of these artists, male and female. That's sort of like Brooklyn coffee shop, heavy wood furniture, candles everywhere, kind of hot bookish nerdy indie girl that wears heavy jumpers and is like late autumnal or kissing somebody under a streetlight as the first flakes of snow start to fall down, brisk winters and big stylish wool coats. There's there's something very indie movie, slightly idealised the way that I think Brooklyn is in the minds of a lot of people. It's that very kind of liberal, modern, progressive society with lots of music and art everywhere. It's, albeit, I think one of the other connotations of Brooklyn is it's quite middle class and it's not necessarily always very self-aware of how trite and absurd it can sometimes be. So I think this does encapsulate that. And, uh, as you mentioned, I think her early work's really reminiscent of Cat Power, who again is, to me, just very suggestive of that lifestyle. Um, she, early on she'd released, I think it's, it's four or five like records worth of material that she self-released in Brooklyn. She was just recording it herself and she just put it out to friends and labels and sent it about the place. Um, Her first proper record is called Because I Was In Love from 2009. came out in Drag City, which is not bad for your first record to come out on a label as cool as that, with as as much uh, of a reputation as that. Um, I'd say about 95% of that album is just vocal and acoustic guitar. There's bits and bobs of extra instrumentation, but it's very of a kind, as we say, of the style that was pretty ubiquitous between 2008 and 2010. The album after that was called Epic. Now it's only seven tracks, but it's still fairly commonly referred to as an album. a friend of mine when she found out we were doing this said that is the number one breakup record that she owns I don't actually find that that's sad an album maybe that's why she likes it because it's a little bit uplifting uh, it has some really really strong songwriting on it for for an album that's only 7 tunes it's too brief, maybe But uh, the second track, Peace Sings and that Is a standout amongst her catalogue uh, it's, it's better than the first track on it uh, The track Save Yourself is a country-ish vibe It's really reminiscent of another singer-songwriter From this era called Don Landes.
3: Tomorrow night Fireworks will fill the sky Fireworks will fill the sky
0: from Kentucky but who moved to Brooklyn obviously she's got an album called Fireproof that's so really good I know it's uh,
2: probably a bit course to bring it up but I think that when she goes more country it reminds me a lot of Ryan Adams
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. well I mean yeah. I think yeah as far as male references go Neil Young Ryan Adams are two that come up mm-hmm. in a lot of the interviews mm-hmm. that not just Sharon Van Etten but other artists in that bracket that do Um, The song Don't Do It on this Is a really anthemic kind of builder It's a big progression from our earlier Minimalist sort of strummy stuff uh, And the track One Day Is just the archetypal coffee shop
3: tune
0: It's a tune that I've heard In so many different little hipster West End coffee bars in Glasgow and that's as I say this is one of the first ones where I was going up to the counter and saying sorry who is this again I know this I've asked this before you know and this one for me really sums it up Uh, she followed that album in 2012 an album called Tramp Um, which was actually produced by the guy Aaron Dres- uh, Desner? Dresner Dresner Desner of The, the National um, So I mean that's sort of consistent With that kind of aesthetic as well it's a, it's a lot more sophisticated actually That album, it's a bit more melancholy as well There's some really standout tracks in yeah, it totally. The tune Give Out, the tune Serpents Are, yeah, is great, man. yeah they're awesome. really good they're, they're actually the, the first two tunes that I heard via uh, an ex-girlfriend and yeah they really did leave a bit of a mark because I had her written off as something a bit simplistic and they demonstrate a lot more depth to the, to the songwriting uh, there's a track in that called We Are Fine, which was pretty popular, but is honestly so close to the track The Greatest by Cat Power, It's Unreal, mm. which I think it was released prior to that as well. Uh, this is the record where the double-track vocals really start to become quite a strong motif. Uh, and it's an inventive and definitely an interesting album, but the, t- for me, there are no bullseye killer tunes on it. I think it, it lacks it, I, real focus Yeah, I like listening to it. It's sort of good you know glass of wine exactly. background music you know dinner party background music it's, it's exactly that it's pleasant and it's consistent throughout yeah. without ever really peaking and you know you never are telling people that you, you know if you're having a dinner party conversation you're never like shh, 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 guys listen to yeah. this bit yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's not one of those albums it's quite you're quite okay with it just on in the background um, 2014 she did Are We There crucially no question mark <laughs> apparently that's important Much, much bigger as an album Much more euphoric uh, It was largely self-produced Alongside a guy called Stuart Lerman um, And I think it's it's a, it's a really overtly romantic album It's really winsome um, It's very
2: loungy But not, not in a, lou- not, not like a lounge music sense But it's very like relaxed The, and- yeah, mm-hmm.
0: the, the chords and the pacing of it Are quite loungy yeah. But the production's quite big on it yeah, totally. it's, it's way bigger than anything she'd done before uh, Including the arrangements as well mm-hmm. There's quite a lot When she builds a song in this album there are layers of things that come in that maybe didn't in the past, and there's there's production techniques that are used as well, like bits of mm-hmm. delay getting ramped up and things. Uh, but it, it has some really interesting touches uh, and some great tunes on it. Actually, I really
1: like this record, but I, I felt like it lagged a bit towards the end. I definitely yeah. thought it was front heavy. Like,
0: Absolutely agree. I thought afraid I of nothing, so too, yeah.
1: taking chances, and your love is killing me were all really good. And then by the and then like our love is quite a big song. After um, track
0: six of it starts to really fade yeah, The it, last three it, yeah. songs
2: sound, are basically completely interchangeable mm-hmm. like they, they all sound Aye. exactly the same yeah, I mean,
0: You you actually mentioned a few of the standouts that I agree with I, The Taking Chances is some really interesting percussion It's really, it's sexier and more sultry And it's closer, it's like it pulls you into the mix It's not a big song, it, like, mm-hmm. it pulls you quite close I, I think track three, Your Love Is Killing Me Is a, really probably the high point of our career at this this stage Very Nick Cave influenced in that kind of like... Uh, was it a ship song? Is that what it's called? Um, it's like one of those big Nick Cave ballads. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think if he'd written that tune, people would be absolutely raving about it. Uh, it's, it's just the way it builds up. It, it also demonstrates what a good voice she has when she wants to use that voice. On that tune, there are some really astonishing vocal performances that I didn't actually think she had in her. I thought she was one of those singers that... ...relish the fragility of the voice. I so I can't see mm. um, but I think on this record... ...it's when I realised... ...she actually does have a set of lungs, man. She can really sing. She'd kind of been downplaying it to this point. Whereas I think a lot of her peers had probably hit their, their level with their voice and they couldn't push it to that next level. Uh, Our Love is really good. It's got a kind of Princey quality to the guitar mm-hmm. in it as well. Mm-hmm. And um, and I Love You But I'm Lost, I think's um very reminiscent of a, a group called Shearwater, who she's worked with... Um, but yeah, I mean, and all of those got increasingly high marks and you know, the likes of Metacritic, the likes of Pitchfork and things like that. Brooklyn Vegan. Brooklyn Vegan, yeah. Um, and, and that's it's nice to see an artist with a, like a, a steady rise like that who is not having identity crisis in such a way that they dismantle everything they've done. They're, they're constantly building. And I do think this new album, and that's actually the first time we're able to say that, this new album. I do think this new album that she's done, this the album that's we're, we're doing today, Remind Me Tomorrow, is... In keeping with that, but it does take it up a good couple of steps this time. It takes it up into a much more considered territory. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm not entirely sure if
2: uh, she chose to work with John Congleton because she was demoing stuff that's a bit different Mm -hmm. or if John Congleton pushed her to go more down this road with her her arrangements and stuff. Yeah,
0: so John Congleton, who's a producer that we've mentioned a number of times, he's a great musician actually as well, but a producer especially of note, uh, who's done everything from like Celine Dion and Marlon Manson right down to really interesting art rock records. Mm. He's he's very, very good at, as you said, putting a very stylistic stamp on things. Like, you know, she's doing something a lot more stylized. and whether or not the decision was made to go with Congleton or whether he heard the tunes and was like, why don't you try something a bit different and push mm. the boat out? I'm not entirely sure, but it, it's a combination that I think works tremendously well. I think
2: in some songs his influence is clearly a lot actually because there are some tunes that sing like Chelsea Wolf on this record.
0: I think she's quite clearly been listening and not just a lot of like classic stuff. I mean there's a lot of P.J. Harvey, we'll, we'll obviously go through the tracks but there's a lot of things like P.J. Harvey that have not just informed her now but informed her whole career. Mm-hmm. But I think there's much more in the way of contemporary inf- influences shining through and I think Chelsea Wolf is definitely one of them. Yeah because like he worked
1: Congleton worked
0: on two records you know, yeah. Three records I think it And he actually. also
1: worked with St Vincent Which is kind of the other side mm-hmm. of this record mm-hmm. Yeah, Like you've got the darker, gothier parts Which are de- definitely got that Chelsea Wolf thing And then those sort of 80s sparkly sort mm-hmm. of yeah. Tangly bits Which are definitely more like St Vincent
0: um, One of the things I think I, I don't know whether it's intentional either But the, the title will remind me tomorrow I do like that sort of the idea of a near future retrospective in the sense that this album is a very new thing, but it seems to be summoning a lot of influences from the, the near and not so near past. I think there's a lot of 80s stuff in here. I think there's mm-hmm. chunks of Pat Benatar and rock set in this, for example, Susie using the Banshees as well. Yeah, it's using the Banshees. Um, and it, it, whether or not that is, that doesn't form the title, I don't know, but it, it does seem quite apt. Um, as I said, I don't think it's a, an album with a particularly coherent through line. And I actually have significant reservations about the sequencing of the album as a result. I think it's a batch of songs that has been assembled in probably an order that doesn't maximise the impact of the songs. Mm-hmm. Um I mean okay a lot of these would be experienced as singles and I know albums mm-hmm. are not as big a priority now but I think you could easily assemble this album slightly differently and it, what what do feel like I would say weaker songs cause there's not in my opinion there's not any bad songs in this record but the the ones that struggle more than others wouldn't if they were sequenced more favorably mm-hmm. in, in my opinion starting with I told you everything sharing the child, you which is a very downbeat intro. Mm -hmm. And maybe if you haven't yet heard reviews of this album or you haven't yet heard one of the singles, could... Lull you into the sense that this is going to be quite an introspective, quite a dark thing.
2: A very measured beginning. To it's, it's
0: very measured. It's very very mature. It's like it's one of the examples of her taking the work she'd done previously and really just just refining it. I think it's just a much more refined version of some slightly clumsier attempts that had happened previously. The, the instrumentation on that record, this in that in this track, is so simple. Those piano mm-hmm. stabs, even the drums are just kick, snare, hat, yeah. kick, snare, hat. It's ultra simple.
3: But me says it started
0: I told you uh, it uh, congolin actually in like Plays quite a lot in this album, yeah. and and his layers of synths in the background to the tracks like this are very subtle, but they do flesh them out in a yeah. way that sometimes it's actually quite imperceptible.
2: Yeah, builds it up really slowly. Um, yeah, and that's another thing that he definitely, I think he's definitely big into this. Is like not just the fact he's putting in a lot of synths, which there's a lot on this record, whether yeah. whether, whether they're a, drones whether, as well, yeah, whether they're it's a deliberate, lot. yeah, big or small. But like most of the stuff that we've covered by him or that we've spoken about by him. With possibly the exception of Baroness, um, he there's a, the sounds in this record are just generally good as well. You know what I mean? The production's great, but there's a lot of well chosen textured sounds as well, yeah. which really, really help give and lift it and bring it, give it an atmosphere which other records just don't have.
0: I think, as you're saying, like about the synths, it's interesting to hear someone approach a drone from a musical po- perspective because there's notes that it's just a single note sustained with quite a granular texture. Mm-hmm. But it, it's delicate enough that it fits with the track, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's unusual enough that it distinguishes the track from just, you know, because stripped right back, it could be quite a predictable song, uh-huh. but it, it does seem like there's a great fusion of the songwriter and the producer in, in, in this piece. Uh, there's, some, there's a real focus in the vocal in this, and I think mm-hmm. it's such a good vocal performance. And the lyrics as well, are, are really, really affecting in this. I think the specific standout lines like, We Held Hands, the harmony on that, and um, the the end, I think just the end section about, I had no idea. It's like, the delivery is so lovely, it's so understated. Um, I, I think it's a very, very good uh, opening tune, uh, albeit not entirely illustrative of, of what follows. Now, and right off the bat, I would say for me, they got tracks two and three wrong. I do think they're good songs, I think track four, Come Back Kids, should have been the second tune. Uh, but going at, it, going at it in order, No One's Easy to Love is a very nice song. It's an early change of
3: tone. The
0: It's got these dark bass throbs that are much more like sort of to bring you my love here. to PJ Harvey when PJ Harvey started really like leaning into her production side of things to kind of add more variety to quite simple compositions, and yeah, that and that is darker. That is a much more sinister approach. Uh, the tempo of this song is just slow enough. It feels like it's maybe maybe five to ten BPM below where most people would play it. But as a result it gives it a sort of druggy effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that it maintains that uh, you know, you're almost willing it to speed up just a fraction, but it doesn't. Um, I also think like the the vocal line in the, in the chorus is, is really interesting because she goes for this really unusual note. a lot of ways that the, like, the second part of the could have gone and instead she bends back up quite awkwardly into this slightly uncomfortable I note. felt
2: that was a bit beautiful, actually, I think the melody in the song is a bit yeah. which is which I, which I wasn't expecting at all, um, um, having heard her back catalogue.
0: I will say one thing about that note choice and that chorus, That you, I mean, when you listen to this folks, you'll, you'll, you'll see what I mean, you'll, you'll know the note that I mean straight away. When she does it live, when I was watching the Glastonbury show, I was thinking to myself, The audience don't know that she's trying to go for that note it sounds like she's gone and failed for a higher note Mm -hmm. and that was the only thing that kind of sat weird about it was that in the live performance if you were seeing her on a bill where you weren't there to see her and you didn't already know the song it felt like it might be a mistake Mm -hmm. but when you hear it in the context of the album it's actually a very nice touch because it muddies up what's quite a clean bit of music uh, the third track, Memorial day uh, again a really stylized it could have been written and performed and probably would have been written and performed much more simply on one of her earlier albums Where
3: do you always stay? Where do you stay?
2: super porous head
0: yeah this is this is what and she said that in interviews as well there were certain that influences bands like Suicide, bands like Portishead it is very apparent in this it's again quite ghostly and quite druggy, that kind of ketamine vibe that we've spoken about with with other artists
2: I felt kind of neon-soaked to me it's like the end of the night, it's like you're heading towards after party and everything's so fucking bright even though it's really dark. You're a bit
0: drunk, you're a bit tired, everything's a little bit foggy and Mm -hmm. you can't focus right, yeah. Uh, Cinematic There's a lot, listening through it as well, there's a lot of really, really interesting little glitchy percussive noises that break up The actual track itself Mm. They don't recur They're just randomised I think Most of them anyway But what it does do Is it adds It breaks up the symmetry of the song Because again It's a song that if you just recorded it you know, start to end, A to B, it could be quite basic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, un- I won't, don't want to say unfussiness because it's not accidental. It's a very deliberate production decision. But muddying it and dirtying it and soiling it with these little marks, you know, it's like doing a painting and then just splashing those kind of dots around the painting at the end to give it an energy and to give it a, a, a ruggedness that I think it, it really, really helps the tune overall.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find I find that interesting that you say that cuz it's kind of like they have done it's like they've taken a photo with a digital camera and then added a filter on at the exactly, end. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Rather than I think she used to, you know, she used to always just use an you know, a film camera which had that natural graininess in it. Yeah.
0: yeah, it had the natural graininess, but at the same time, I think her previous compositions were too perfect. They were too nice. They were too sweet. And they were mm-hmm. too, like they were too s- symmetrical. As I say, I think what Congleton said is that this could get boring. This yeah. could get a little bit insipid if we don't break it up. It's the, it's the, it's the lime in your drink. You mm-hmm. know, it's the little bit of us. It's a little acidic touch yeah. that just stops it being a bit too sickly. Um, now when the album for me really gets serious, and I think it hits a run of just, Honestly, terrific songs here Uh, It's track four, Comeback Kid Which was a big single off of this uh, At least uh, scale-wise for her I think this should have been Tracked to it I think going from the How good the opening tune was yeah. Into something as energetic as this Would have been An absolute Stick on Amazing mm-hmm. Introduction to a record That said It means that the middle section Of this album Is so fucking strong um, Big big tune Really great vocal performance Really lean songwriting um, She's got a really strong Baritone in this And this is the one Where you're talking about Like the Interpol New york mm-hmm. Romantic vibe Um, It has that really classic 80s feel of people like Pat Benatar, who I I fucking love Pat Benatar, but Pat Benatar especially in tracks like Sex as a Weapon, where she's at her most forceful Mm -hmm. and sort of almost aggressive. It's not aggressive, but it's, it's definitely very assertive. And just the, the the fact that it's you know verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus ends no lingering about no extra solos no returning to the verse for one last flurry you know and and it's. Retrospective In it's It's its perspective You know it's, it's looking at a lot of tracks From the 80s mm-hmm. But it's very modern In it's delivery And it's a, it bears a lot Of repeated listens It's one that I would have Thrown on a lot of Compilation tracks For people um, that- It's interesting I mean I think yeah, I like it I think it's a good song But it's
2: not hugely different From a lot of other indie Right now I don't think it's going to Have a place in a club Either to be honest Um But there's some Like I said Some awesome sounds in it Some awesome sounds In that song And the chorus is awesome too
1: mm-hmm. Um yeah I, th- I think it sticks out as It's definitely a single on this record But for me it's maybe It's not the singles that I like on this record I like our understated stuff mm-hmm.
0: Well a lot of people I think the reason that this album Means so much to them At least the folks I know that are into it It was because they got it because they quite liked the singles But then they yeah, lo- love then loved the, the album stuff tracks mm-hmm. uh, The fifth track in this Jupiter 4 Is a, an excellent change of pace
2: This is the most
0: Chelsea Wolf. <laughs>
2: yeah, there's a sample in here. There's that creepy sample in the background that, is, that was definitely used in Abyss. It's exactly, the exactly, exact mm-hmm. same sound. That's
0: Big John, recycling, yeah.
2: save yeah, the planet. Totally. <laughs> and so the, the weird effect in her voice is using a Chelsea Wolf song. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very subtle here, whereas she goes to the town on it. It's like a kind of weird lisp thing almost. Uh huh. Kind of I say whispery thing. I think both of those things are on the same Chelsea Whale song as well.
0: I mean, he's dialed the goth up to 10. And absolutely. It, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And also, I think the her sensibilities as regard vocal harmonies really remind me of some of the most bold and heartfelt rock set ballads. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have, I have such a soft spot for rock set, honestly. Yet through that gothy filter, it sounds a lot more contemporized. Um ironically, I suppose. Um, That line in it, baby, 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 I've been waiting my whole life for someone like you is just so big. And it's one of the kind of tunes that I think could appeal right across boundaries to people like Lana Del Rey fans, you know, mm-hmm. it's that kind of... I mean, yeah, Lana Del Rey
1: takes an awful lot from this genre and then puts that mainstream gloss exactly. on it. Exactly,
0: yeah. This has the level of production and the level of shameless sort of romanticism mm-hmm. that I think would endear Sharon Benetton to Lana Del Rey fans were she able to get, you know, something of that level of exposure. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I think as well, in this, the, the the construction of this track, as the synths get denser, verse upon verse, right up to, I think it's about three minutes, 24, 25, um, the song just gets so gushy. It just gets huge. There's a last kind of like push of of synth layers. Um, I just, I mean, I just think it's, it's fantastic. It's over the top, but it's fucking brilliant. It's exactly what I want from a ballad. You know, it's just what I want from It Must Have Been Love. It's just what I want from Spending My Time. It's just what I want from that tune. The 6th tune in this, 17, is another well-worn single for alternative radios, so a radio 6 yeah. type thing. I will say, I wish the song had just started with a drumbeat. I don't, I don't like the fade-in. Um, I think the fade-in mm. makes it sound like a radio edit to me because it's quite a short tune. Yeah. And, and mm. I, I, th- I wish it had just come straight in. I don't mind, it. I, don't just, mind either, I, I think it's because the fade-in, if you imagine the sort of uh, the the parabola the the, the fade ins only just finished when she starts singing and for me that's, that's I don't want that I want the f- I want the track to be developed or established at least a little bit yeah before the voice comes in otherwise it does just feel like an edit to me oh but it is a big track oh it's yeah. a, a huge track it's it's the kind of Bruce Springsteen yeah. style it's track Patty yeah. Smith maybe yeah, a bit of Tom Petty yeah, yeah. this thing, would definitely
2: tracks. sit on um, Born in the USA like yeah no fucking question. Alongside any of those tracks yeah, And mean, it's, it's it's good It's great for it as well I like yeah, it this Yeah,
0: the, the the sentiment of the tune as well You know, that whole kind of nostalgic You know, about being 17 mm-hmm. And about what you've learned And yeah. how you've changed And how your perspectives have changed um, It was, uh, I think, this actually This album, if not this track Features one of the guys from The War on Drugs Is that right? Or yeah, is that
2: the previous record? I think it's previous the previous record Previous record,
0: right, okay So and, and again, they're tapping into that same vein That same modern incarnation of Springsteen
2: and Petty
0: and they're garbage so yeah they're definitely uh, inconsistent Um, but yeah that kind of 1982 to 1985 spirit is just so strong in this one there's a kind of noisy glitchy synth as well that I think prevents it being too straight and I love it Uh, just the pre-last chorus where she takes the vocals up a whole register goes up an octave and starts really belting it out (laughs)
2: Like that gated fuzz guitar In my late as well With the las Which is just so fucking cool Yeah
0: the la 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 thing is That's fucking brilliant Yeah it's incredibly simple And can be jarring But it's used Just the right amount In this Jarring (laughs) vanettin.
2: Boy, Speaking Um, of Springsteen There's definitely a lot of that In Malibu I think Well I would say
0: Malibu's probably my favourite track In the album I think it's absolutely gorgeous. It's a good song, yeah. Yeah, it's another one that I think would have a lot of success with the Lana Del Rey mm-hmm. audience.
2: Well, they can. Vocal melody is basically 80s Springsteen. Yeah. I love it. Not because of that, but it's a really good string to add to the bowl.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's. I think it's a bit of a sister track to the opening tune. Mm. Um, I, th- I think it's got a similar feel, uh, and it, it also kind of shows the sort of it builds upon the sort of work done by people like Tori Amos when she was at her kind of most straight ahead. You know that piano-led sort of balladry that she used to do when she wasn't feeling quite so weird. Um, it's again very vocal focused, and given how well Sharon Bennett can sing when she chooses to, it benefits from that.
3: Tap the brakes and we slow down Just a couple of jokers on the edge of town And
0: the, and the, the production again as well is really subtle but very effective in it. There's a really cool noise out ending. Like the ending of this song is actually mm. very strange and counterintuitive yeah. for something that's so commercially viable. Mm. I think this was a single as well. Was Malibu a single? Yeah, I think it was. Uh, there you go. That, would, that would make five or six, I think. Um, that synth solo that comes in at 1 minute 16 is terrific as well. Like, really, really mm. good early break of pace. Uh, track 8 You Shadow um, Is probably I think the most reminiscent Of our previous work Especially yeah. the, the stuff on Epic I've got that as well most, yeah. The most traditional
2: Quote unquote Traditional Yeah I um,
0: Although I do think The interesting production Touches Take it up a bit of a level From that earlier stuff You're It's the jauntiest song in the record, definitely, um, and there's a beautiful little synth that's meant to sound like a glockenspiel, Well, a lot of delay and reverb that I think really adds a... kind of makes the song, because the song could have been a bit one-dimensional, but the, the, the synth touches in the back of this, I think, again, whether that's come from her or Kongol, or a combination of both, it's worked really, really well. I do also like the the wee kind of synths imitating the brass ensemble are pretty handy as well. I
2: think that that sort of squelchy to get all low-fi synth. It ruins it for me. I Does find it? it really irritating. Yeah, I love the I love the sounds. That's particularly the organ sound. Actually, it's got a really churchy feel mm-hmm. almost. Where Yeah, that's that, That's the cat kind of organ synth sound Is just, I uh, just
0: annoyed the hell out of me. I oh, see. I quite like that yeah, one. I didn't mind it. Yeah. Um, track nine hands.
3: You. I, know what
0: done, I think I think I think this is one of the biggest nods to old school PG Harvey. Um, and I think being somebody that's a huge fan of PG Harvey, I see a lot of different flavours from different parts of her careers as well. There's moments that are a bit more akin to sort of stories from the city. There's as I mentioned earlier, there's a couple of moments, especially with the kind of more squelchy staccato bassy synths that are a lot more akin to, to Bring You My Love, that kind of era um, but there's, this has got more of a kind of grainy, grungy feel to it which I think is consistent with some of her earlier work Um, and it's quite a sinister tune I think there are Chelsea Wheel flavours in it but overall it's I think it betrays that love of P.J. Harvey I mean, Sharon Van Etten says it readily admits in, in interviews as well how big a fan she was of Sonic Youth and the kind of alternative indie rock of the 90s she says that's what made her want to do it and it really shows I think in this tune but I mean I, I like that song I like that song because I grew up on those influences and I think it's a nice reimagining of them
2: um, yeah, I think was, uh, the production is really strange in this song And I like it because of that um, There's a lot of different weird samples in the stuff as well Which I found quite interesting it Made it more engaging than it otherwise could have been For somebody that's not got a huge amount of love For those kind of, of influences mm-hmm. I really did enjoy the whole arrangement
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. um, The 10th track is Stay is actually quite an unusual uh, way to finish for me it's, it's probably the most optimistic track in the album mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, the electronic percussion in this I think distinguishes it From a lot of what else Has been going yeah, on yeah. Uh, And I think again There's hints of some of the Later era Shearwater stuff Which you know yeah. This is somebody She's collaborated with um, There's a, a lovely Quite fluid Quite mobile bass line In this one You know the, Combined with the little Sparkles of Glockenspiels That were quite fragmented Over the top of the mix it's, it's a very sweet ending To the
2: album Yeah I love that I don't know if it was a Guitar harmonics Or glockenspiel Because mm-hmm. they sound Quite similar <laughs>
0: seen her playing live, you you actually do see which parts are which or which have been interpreted live in different ways it's like the, the Glastonbury's set on the BBC which you won't be able to see mm-hmm. if you're outside of this country unless you do something not I, th- I think some of it's on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah, okay. Well, if you're able to see that on YouTube, it's right. really it's a really interesting way to revisit this record because you see how she conducts it live. Yeah. And she really does conduct it and it's it's yeah, it's great. It makes me like it more watching the yeah, live Yeah, that show. you knew that she was in complete control of how it sounded. She is the, in the boss. The yeah, so. it's brilliant. So, I mean, I know it's a gamble and I know it's a recent album, um, but I was trying to Put myself in the mindset of me as a younger guy Because what we've talked about is like A lot of the time the problem with albums is I wasn't there at the time You know Mm -hmm. it's like Oh this might This sounds like it could be a good album But I wasn't there at the time Yeah And I am dead certain Especially after having given it a serious doing this week it, this is an album that had I been 18 or 20 would have been on heavy, heavy rotation. Yeah. And, a, and as a result of that 15, 20 years later would have been an album that I had a lot of nostalgic love for. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not perfect, and it isn't perfect, but it's got some outstanding singles on it. It gets, It's got some great album tracks that are probably going to be more rewarding in the long run than mm-hmm. the singles and it's got a couple of slightly more difficult tracks which the more I've listened to the more I've liked which is a good sign because yeah. that's most of the bands that I grew up loving there were always a few tracks that I'm like oh I don't know about that one and then you know five years later six years later that's the only one I was listening to Yeah. so I, I think it's yeah, I think it's probably got a longevity, uh, a longevity that maybe some of her earlier stuff doesn't have, and a lot more imagination. So now I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a swing for it, and uh, mainly if nothing else, for the people that haven't listened to it and maybe have written Sharon Van Etten off as just some one dimensional coffee shop Brooklynite sort of singer songwriter, like she is a really, really, really good songwriter. I that.
1: definitely, I think she's the real deal. Yeah. Um I think. She got some fucking brilliant tunes throughout her um, back catalogue. Absolutely. A doubt.
0: I'll throw a playlist together, actually, based on some of the ones that we like.
1: Yeah, and there's maybe, I don't know, Tramp and Are We There even are probably records that I like the sound of more to begin with because I just kind of like that more stripped back and more personal element. But in all honesty, they do kind of get a, had boring by the end mm-hmm. whereas this album although i'm aware that it's just a little bit glossier it holds my
0: attention for longer mm. um she's got a good sense of brevity as well yeah I mean, yeah, the, yeah it's the, a nice
1: 10 tracks, track 41
0: man. minutes gotta mm-hmm. fucking love a 10 track 48 oh, 41 yeah. minute. um my i mean my
1: only thing is that is it going to be unsung because i feel like it's probably going to be fairly high up on the uh, on end of year lists maybe and i think it's sold fairly well I think
0: um, when you balance that out though With commercial <clears> viability it's clear like her standing for As I said like a barometer that Based on where she's appearing in festivals She is not Yeah that's true You've got Bonnevere playing the Hydro in March Yeah and She's not playing the Hydro No not even close Yeah She's lucky if she gets an opening slot On a tour of Bonnevere Yeah exactly mm-hmm. So No I think she's under acknowledged I think she's got better tunes than Bonnevere as yeah. well Just <laughs> putting that out there <laughs> I
2: think it's uh, I like the ambition of it um, and I've I bring in a, i brought in a lot of rev- records that are somewhat imperfect. Um, I think this is their best work, and I, I actually liked. I listened to a lot of our stuff, even the earlier stuff, and I like the record a lot. I think, I think you should go in.
0: Cool, nice one. Great, Minute. Yeah. agreed. Hmm.
1: with. Bit of a fucking awkward nexus we got this week. Yeah. We? yeah so who chose this nexus? Was this Craig Scott, and we've got to get from Sharon Van Etten too. Uh, Former and now deceased, disgraced Toronto Mayor Rob Ford. (laughs) Former, deceased, and disgraced. (laughs) The Holy Trinity. (laughs) (laughs) This is the first time we're
0: seeing Nexus tonight. Will it be the last? What do they have in store for us? off chris uh well i mean i think just just to be clear so we have some context as mark says deceased disgraced former mayor balding mayor of toronto no he wasn't the Baldwin one. is his brother doug ford the Baldwin. is that right yeah no, no, i think both, he was going bald he was so yeah rob ford was the mayor of toronto from 2010 to 2000 and what? Famous Method. Method, yeah. 2014, (laughs) he was famously filmed smoking crack uh, with uh, gang members. Uh, He had a history of drug and alcohol problems and some domestic. Uh, violence or police call-outs albeit those incidents were dismissed by the police because they said that it seemed like the wife uh, couldn't be consistent in her story so I don't know what the deal is with that um, but he was asked to step down refused to step down his duties ended up getting passed on to his deputy and he died of a rare form of cancer and somewhere in the abdomen I don't know too much about it in 2016 so that's who Rob Ford was because he is possibly one of the most obscure <laughs> lengths of what yeah. they do um, yeah so from a Nexus, Sharon Van Etten uh, recorded a track called The End of the World for the official soundtrack of The Man in the High Castle, the series on oh. Amazon. Cool. Um, the Man in the High Castle was written by the writer Philip K. Dick, a very famous, very respected sci fi writer, lefty activist. Very interesting guy, actually. Uh, as part of Philip K. Dick's fascinating life story, in the early 70s, he started writing to the FBI. And the the, the gist of these letters was that he'd been approached by a secret Nazi cabal who were looking to persuade sci-fi writers. I always get Nazis in, man. No. <laughs> Every fucking time. They were looking to persuade sci-fi writers. Specifically, sci-fi writers to include coded ideas in their works in order to try and penetrate the U.S. public psyche. Bear in mind that Philip K. Dick was an a outspoken lefty, yeah. uh, and *The Man in the High Castle* was a critique of Nazism and mm. the right yeah. wing.
2: Um, He's also had, uh, apart from being a something of a psychonaut, he also had like a lot of mental health problems as well. Yeah um he was a fucking it. fascinating guy though
0: and so as a result the fbi didn't know how seriously to take this yeah. clearly uh he said by the way that the col- the code was called uh, solarcon 6 so there you go um it's a pretty elaborate story that unfolded across a series of letters which uh, included uh, a detail about a type of super syphilis <laughs> <laughs> which uh, uh was going to be used to initiate uh, world war 3 um by the nazi cabal Uh, although then he decided that the super syphilis thing was like a a kind of red herring designed to set off panic in the USA Uh, it also included details of a guy called Harold Kincher and a bunch of others who were connected to the Minutemen who were a a famous American militia still are to some extent Um, anyway so in one of the final installments Philip D. K. Dick contacted the FBI again about a book called Camp Concentration by a writer called Thomas Dish uh, which Apparently the story was based around a form of super syphilis that made soldiers like super intelligent but also killed them within like nine months or something like that. Uh, Philip K. Dick saw the plot and then saw that plot being in there as proof of the conspiracy he'd been describing of the Nazis trying to get this scenario mm-hmm. put into sci-fi writing. Um, now that book, uh, Camp Concentration by Thomas Dish, features... A whole series of subplots and references to Christopher Marlowe's Dr. Faustus wow. uh, including characters and sort of parallels and various things and in 2017 there was a rock opera version of Faust uh, by the director Dr. Rudolf Volz um, and in that adaptation of Faust the character of Faust uh, and the music in it actually was based on Gene Simmons and Kiss <laughs> <laughs> and the makeup was so close as well now Gene Simmons has a website, and surprisingly, And in 2010, GeneSimmons.com was one of a small clutch of websites that was specifically targeted by the Anonymous Collective. Remember that? <laughs> And taken down uh, due to uh, Gene Simmons' very hardline and outspoken stance against uh, file sharing. Uh, by the way, the person that took it down got caught, and Gene Simmons, I don't know what the result of the court case was, but he depressed for 15 years in jail for taking <laughs> down GeneSimmons.com. Wow! Wow! So, uh, and also Anonymous announced prior to the ultimate discovery uh, that Rob Ford's crack tape was out and about in Alberta, Canada, when nobody could really track it down, and then it suddenly appeared after they put that announcement out. Mm. So there you go, Rob Ford. Interesting.
2: Pretty good. Pretty good. Nazis. Yeah, Nazis.
1: <laughs> They've got any Nazis for us? Uh, no, I've got some beavers though. Oh yeah. Um, so Sharon Van Etten, before she started uh, releasing music, uh, worked at Badabing Records mm, uh, right, yeah. in oh. the
2: States in I thought you were going to say she was part of a beaver conservation <laughs> society <I thought.
0: laughs> She was part of
1: a Nazi beaver cabal <laughs> um, So Badabing was based in uh, New Jersey, I think Oh no, Brooklyn yeah. And included, their releases include uh, Beirut Julie Byrne and uh, Sarah DeVachi, who I've listened to quite a lot of she's like a ambient sort of sound artist um, from Canada. Um, really really cool stuff but um, Sarah DeVachi, she's a graduate of the University of Calgary but she's also lectured at Vancouver Film School and also Simon Fraser University uh, which is a university somewhere in Canada. No relation. Um, but it's Yeah, no relation to Mr. Mark Fraser. Do you have a cousin called, Simon? Probably. Everybody's cousin. I don't know. I do have family in in Canada, but Uh, I don't don't know them very well. Do you have
0: any universities named after you?
2: Not in countries that are reputable.
1: (laughs) (laughs) North Korea, Mark (laughs) Fraser, Pyongyang (laughs) University, Polytechnic, (laughs) a life misspent. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the the Simon Fraser University is a public research university in British Columbia, uh, and it's named after... A Scottish, well, he's of Scottish ancestry, a fur trader and explorer, who charted much of what is now the Canadian province of British Columbia. Um, he went far west, and uh, he's gotten mountains and rivers named after him and everything. Um, See Mark, what you've been doing? I know what we been doing, Molly. <laughs> well, at the age of fourteen, uh, Simon Fraser moved to Montreal for uh, schooling and. Uh, ended up getting fairly involved in the fur trade. Um, it was easier back then. Well, yeah, <laughs> there exactly. was
0: less history. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fur trade—I could have—I could have discovered penicillin. I have had loads of mouldy food exactly. in my cupboard <laughs> <though>. <laughs> Well, the fur
1: trade—you uh, know—was a huge thing between you know the new North America, newly found North American colonies, and. Uh, back home in Asia. This is going to in a very deep And, <laughs> and cu- Well, culminated in that famous uh, f- um, fight, the Beaver Wars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Beaver Wars encompassed a series of fa- conflicts fought intermittently during the 17th century in America. I'm pretty um, sure that's a porn herb term. And and there, it, were ba- porn there were battles <laughs> for sort of economic welfare throughout a whole area around the Great Lakes and stuff like that and they were fought between Indigenous tribes and in France and Britain and Scotland and all these things. Did um, you do
0: this before you got here? Why? Because if you managed to get via the Beaver Wars <laughs> in, in the time you were
1: sitting there, uh, I'd started a little bit, but do you know what? Do you know what? I had, I just decided the middle need spicing up a little bit. So, uh, hence the Beaver Wars. Um, Spicy Beaver. But the Beaver Wars had uh, a huge amount of, um, wait, well, What am I
0: trying to say? You don't even need to say anything. Beaver Wars is going to become like one of those trademark moments of the the show. Well, yeah, so the the
1: Beaver Wars (laughs) (laughs) led to a sort of a a wee black hole in history because like a lot of... uh, (laughs) There's so (laughs) much innuendo. Come on. A lot of... Too uh, much innuendo. um, Native... Oh, Jesus, what what am I trying to say? Uh, The Beaver Wars led to a lot of native tribes being obliterated, as was the Western way of just... um, getting rid of lots of uh, uh, local folk now you can see this because there's basically a big gap in the writing of a certain historian and explorer he was called Etienne Brul, who was the first European explorer to uh, journey beyond the St Lawrence River in what is now known as Canada and he um, had spent time with many of the tribes that were uh, then obliterated in the Beaver Wars Uh, Etienne (laughs) how many times have you said that? (laughs) <laughs> Etienne Brule was uh, happened to be the first European to encounter the Humber River in Ontario uh, when he was traveling through Canada. Uh, the Humber River has a small park and a playground uh, at one point on it which is uh, named the Douglas B Ford Park. Douglas B. Ford is the father of a uh, Mr. Rob Ford. Douglas B. Ford Fuck was off. a no, Canadian even. businessman and politician on Ontario and he has two sons, both of whom are in politics. One of them is deceased and disgraced.
0: <laughs> so you wanted to spice that up. So some, something got chopped <laughs> yeah. and replaced with the entire history of Canada yeah. and the Beaver Wars.
2: Yeah. That's, that's, I guess, that's how it goes, eh? That's how it goes. <laughs> f- add f- some follow that there. then, Mark. Uh, well... Unfortunately, I didn't have a lot of time to do my nexus because of some stuff and work today. Um, so, mine's is a, a bit short, perhaps mercifully brief. Thank you. After
0: after these, is there any innuendo?
2: There is not. Can you um, can you squeeze some in? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> um, okay, so in 2015 at the NYC Bowery Ballroom, Sharon Van Etten played Neil Fest, which is a tribute to Neil, a tribute festival to Neil Young. Uh, also featured the likes of Nora Jones, Ryan Adams, Brian Fallon from the Gaslight Anthem and many others. Sounds really boring. It probably <laughs> was, probably was super dull. In um, the video, in the 1990 video for "Fucking Up by Neil Young, he is wearing a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey. He actually used to be a huge Maple Leafs fan until 2011 when uh, the franchise for Winnipeg started up, the Winnipeg Jets, and he then switched his allegiance to that team. Um, and Amer- still,
1: North American sport fucking confuses me. Yeah. It depresses me. Incidentally, did you know that uh, Neil Young's dad?
2: Uh, no. Was he was a really well known sports writer and broadcaster in Canada, and he used to be, uh he used to be a host on Hockey Night in Canada until he really annoyed the Maple Leafs owner, John John Bassett, and then they demanded that he be sacked or they pulled the sponsorship <laughs> from the show. Well, um, well, there you go. Yeah. So I, I, I did know that actually. <laughs> more Canadian knowledge. Canadian knowledge. <laughs> uh, in 2009, former Toronto mayor and famous uh, drug addict Ralph Ford attended a Toronto Maple Leafs game where a couple sitting next to him filed a complaint to the city of Toronto because he was drunk, he was swearing, and he was insulting people. Uh, and at the time, he was only a councillor yeah. And Toronto. still managed to get made mayor after that. I yeah, know, pretty good.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, it gives us hope. After he got caught smoking crack with gang, gang members, he stayed mayor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: for like, for like his whole term, yeah. he, he saved his whole term. Well, he and he he said, you will see that video, and people deserve to see that video, and just judge me on what the video shows and the video shows him smoking crack with some gang members and people just went yeah that's fine <laughs> that's,
0: that's fine. the kind of mayor that we want I noticed how his excuse was that he was so drunk that he smoked crack and <laughs> oh we've all been there <laughs> yeah that happens to me all the time yeah so yeah wow okay that was a pretty good set fucking unparalleled knowledge of Canada now yeah that's us I know Um. so who's next week Does It is I it's you Mark yeah uh, I'm gonna
2: guess punk. No, not really. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pass the flask by the bled. Um, ah, we were discussing this last yeah, yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. he's gone for it. Yeah, so there. Uh, you say
0: pass the flask or pass, pass the flask? Pass the flask. Uh, yeah. Pass flask. Stick your macaroni and keep it hot. the <laughs> <a> record, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so pass the flask by the bled. Uh, the bled were a kind of metalcore, mathcore, post-hardcore band from the early ne- the two thousands. I think it's split up in two thousand and eleven. Past the Flask is a really good record I think and they're a band I think a lot of people have forgotten they were also fucking properly incendiary alive as well they were crazy mm-hmm. um, but yeah I'm looking forward talking about that I so
0: you want to pick a Nexus set?
2: yeah let me do it
0: listeners we would be very happy to get some more Nexus suggestions yes, yes. please who have we got The War- Bled to Warren Ellis to Warren the Ellis writer. okay ah oh, Warren Ellis the writer as yeah. opposed to Warren Ellis the musician yeah who suggested that
2: the North it's also North Race on Twitter so that's he's a, he's a patron so <laughs>
1: okay yeah. Great. thanks the North <laughs> Race not a person but a patron thanks Patreon <laughs> I can't remember his name right now
2: I think it's <laughs> Bruce Race I think his name is that's okay, a good well, that's fantastic. a good name yeah. alright
1: we'll try and get to Warren else, the writer alright did you ever cover their tunes the high school band mm, has really no. dropped
0: off the radar in the last six months
1: yeah that's true do I haven't been involved lately well, We'll have to get it back on Maybe I'll maybe I'll do a effects fi- album You, or you something. found any demos
0: yet? Well, the Pop Punk uh, live episode is going to be an excuse to do that Yeah, that's true We still
1: haven't decided on our albums yet
0: When's that
2: coming up? It's taking place on the 22nd of November on the Flying Duck
1: um, Is that right? Yes Absolutely not No, it's the uh, 28th <laughs> of November Sunday the 28th of November At the Flying Duck in Glasgow So it is uh, it's taking place on the 28th of November you can, buy, <laughs> you can buy tickets for £4 Mark will also be there on the 22nd Yeah I will be there on the 22nd Looking confused uh, You can buy tickets online for £4 or £5 on the door um, I think that's pretty good That's cheaper than a gig
0: yeah. That I would go to uh, It'll be hilarious and we have some live entertainment In mm-hmm. the in the intermission As we did last time mm-hmm. uh, On the theme Um yeah, and we're going to do our best to be sober and amusing. So you can go get or,
1: or not. <laughs> go, go click attending on our Facebook event, which will uh, be up by now. And uh, buy a ticket and uh, it'll be fun. Yeah. We'll talk about pop punk. You well. can heckle. Uh, I've got to decide what, t- sh- what non-pop punk t-shirt to wear. <laughs> I actually just found the at uh, the driving t-shirt that you've also got the one with mm. the cassette on it I thought I'd lost it it's the
0: closest I'm going to get yeah know. no me too yeah.
1: maybe we can both wear it
0: I, I once yeah. made one. I made a Dookie t-shirt when I was younger you know the cover of Dookie <laughs> yeah. but
1: like with one of those print off yeah. t-shirt screen prints yep. you still got it uh, maybe iron on <laughs> if you still have it you should definitely wear it <laughs>
0: <laughs> it will not look flattering <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great though I used to I, I was nine stone then man. <laughs>
1: yeah I used to have a green Blink 182 hoodie that everybody borrowed and I basically never got to wear it, but I don't know where it's gone. It used to have thumb holes. Remember hoodies? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thumb holes in yeah. the hoodie. Yeah. Anyway, pop punk, that'll be fun. But yeah. uh, next up is metalcore. All right, mm. thanks very much. Uh, go vote for Sharon Van Etten on our Facebook page. Thanks. Back to the
0: God channel for me. <laughs>